is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue, Blue podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome back to episode number five. I think that's right. Yaz and I had a tiny steward's inquiry before we uh, kicked this episode off and I actually had to go to the uh, the powers that be at London's Blue headquarters to just confirm the uh, the episode number there. But yes, we have made it to uh, number episode number five, although I think I might have got this wrong on every single episode so far. So if this is incorrect, then I at least have someone to uh, to blame it on this time. No, so. it, is, it is five, but you've, you've done it with all the assuredness of Anthony Taylor in front of a VAR monitor. Exactly. But. Exactly, it, yeah. it is, but it is five for sure. It is. It's, it is. it's not a bold start. It's not a bold it's start. Definitely five. Um, yeah. So as you can hear, uh, host Joe Tweeds on the microphone already, and uh, my co-host, uh, Mr. Yasin McLean. Brilliant. Sorry, I, well. I, I always I, I, give, I can't remember I give that a bit more vim today. Yeah, I can't believe I've been. Uh, was I co-host always? This is good. This is, it feels like yeah, I've, 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 made I've it. upgraded you to co-host. Yeah, I, think, I don't know if I always guy, was. Guy who talks on podcast. Yeah, definitely. It feels like a vice captaincy or something. It's, it's good. It's, I'm basically Jorginho. Amazing. <laughs> well, okay, yeah. Let's let, let's not let let's maybe save that discussion for the end of season episode or something like that. But uh, yeah, so as you can hear, Yas is joining me, and I think this podcast actually, in terms of prep, in terms of notes that have been made for this podcast, and probably interesting things to talk about. This is, I don't want to say the first time we've had interesting things to talk about, but there has certainly been some uh, unique circumstances, I think, which have surrounded some of the games. And I think that's definitely going to lead to hopefully a pretty decent episode here. So before we get into a little comment that we had on our Discord, which I think was quite interesting, um, the sort of outline for the episode, we're going to take a quick look at City. So work sort of retrospectively here. Um, look at City, look at the game, you know, what we're sort of taking away from it. You know, how big is the, the gap between us and City? Um then sort of moving into the Villa, Brighton and Liverpool games, looking at, I would say, probably the the, the I suppose the main themes from those games, looking at certainly the, the Lukaku situation that's come from those games as well. Um, you know, various elements that we were kind of intrigued by into, in those games and finishing it up with the semi-final victories that we had over, over Tottenham, which I think many people saw sort of the, the change of shape that Tuchel put into play there and certainly the, there's maybe a slight kind of change in, in style of play as well. So we'll dig into that. And again, I'll be finishing up with a very... Uh, quick fire round of, of the Tinker Men 10, which I've just about maybe 25 minutes ago put together. So I'm hoping Yaz hasn't had too much time to to prepare for those. Um, but before we get into the, the City game, I wanted to to highlight a comment that, that arrived on our Discord actually, and it's actually pretty interesting. I need to go back and, and find the chap's name. So he said that he was just guilty of finishing up the latest uh, Tinkerman episode. However, what he has learned is that things in football really can change just like that. And he's wondering if uh, Yaz and myself have uh, have changed our opinions on Sal. Uh, listeners of this uh, podcast may know that, that Yaz and I are not particularly big on on Sal as a as a player. Certainly, the version that we have at Chelsea, and we're a little bit dismissive of him in the last episodes. Although I would probably say that since then he has resembled more of a professional footballer and less of a competition winner. But Yaz, has your opinion, before we get into the real meat and potatoes of this, has your opinion on Sal changed significantly or changed at all since since we last spoke? Is it kind of similar? What, what are you, Where are you on Sal at the moment? Um, well, I think my big thing last last episode was I just felt bad, honestly. Like when I think we yeah. talked about, would you send him back to Atletico and stuff? And my, my big reason for doing so was I, I, it was like, it was horrible. It was watching someone's confidence sort of erode in front of you game by game. I think he was hooked three out of his four starts or something like that. Um, and two of them at half time. So for me, it's brilliant. Like you can see that he is a lot more confident, um, especially in the Spurs first leg. He was covering ground really well, you know, and, and he just wasn't scared and he wasn't afraid to get involved in stuff. And that is probably a credit to partly himself, obviously, but it's probably a credit to people like Tuchel, the the, the squad around him, the staff and everything like that to, to help him bed in. Uh, the Wolves game, which we probably shouldn't have had to play, but we did. And I think, and Spurs first leg, have Saul looking like a capable, if not spectacular, Jorginho backup if he was to have a serious injury of sort of steady presence who can just tick it over and break things up. That's all I ever expected. And if he can carry on doing that, then brilliant. Um, I think even that comment, the guy on the Discord uh, was like, Look, he doesn't want to keep him either. Do you know what I mean? So I don't think it was, yeah. it was anything amazing. But yeah, I'm buzzing just to see him 
be okay in a weird way. Like it sounds ridiculous talking about these multi-millimeter footballers, but it's it's never nice to see someone struggle like that. And and yeah, if he's gonna play like he did in those two games in particular for the rest of the season, then you're probably not gonna see too many minutes. But I gave someone an over under on ten games when when we signed him. So um I think they might get the over on it now. So so uh he'll he'll do better than 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 that, hopefully. I think my favourite takeaway, Yaz, and, and this is probably very reminiscent of my early days as a FIFA player, was that I was just I used to abuse the slide tackle button. And I think that Spurs game, he he must have won about four, four I mean one one in particular. I think on the edge of our penalty, he won an absolutely ridiculous slide tackle, but he just seemed to sort of lean into that kind of physical side of the game, which again, you know, given what we had seen previously, that really wasn't a strength of his. He was getting bullied. He was getting overrun. He looked like the pace was was way too frenetic and too crazy for him. But to see him almost kind of go a bit Michael Essien, a bit sort of, you know, crazy with the slide tackles was, was really interesting. And, and yeah, I, I completely agree. You know, it's... It's one thing to have a guy come over on loan who you are paying, uh, from what I understand, a very significant loan fee for and paying a very uh, chunky portion of, of what are not insignificant wages. Um, so there are expectations that you are going to get a player that can, I think as Jazz put it there, be a, a competent uh, number two to Jorginho, which is, is not a position I currently feel that we have in, in the squad. So from that perspective, you could probably see if that was the aim. That is kind of obviously the intention there in, in terms of him backing him up. What we had seen previously was a player that completely devoid of confidence, who looked a complete and utter um, stylistic nightmare when it comes to Premier League football. So yes, you know, the Spurs game, I think he did. He played quite well in a, in a was it the Chesterfield game or somebody we played non-league team, he looked pretty decent, which is, I kind of would expect that from him. So yeah, I think opinion has, has kind of gone from player who, I would quite happily have sent home in uh, in January to somebody who, you know, I'm quite happy for him to to remain with the squad come the come the end of the season. I think there right, there is some utility in him. Um, has he has legs? He has the ability to win a tackle. It looks like now, um, and I think while we will never maybe see the the Saul who was you know one of Atletico Madrid's best players in probably you know one of the best periods of their history, certainly in in, in recent uh, times. Um, it's nice to have a, a player who, yeah, you know, to Yaz's point about him looking, almost feeling quite sad for him that he looked to be such a shadow and a shell of the former player. So it is nice to see that confidence come back. And I think I think, I think, I think Tuchel's smart as well. I think he knows what games yeah, oh, yeah, to play him in, that, you know. Yeah. yeah, he knows what games to play him in. Like he was getting a lot of EFL Cup run. Um, I think three Don't out. Don't drop of, him in against Villa's midfield, basically. Yeah, it's, it's sort of yeah. And and um and then Wolves are a team that sit off. Spurs are a team that sit off. Obviously, Chesterfield. You can kind of you could have thrown on anyone really, but um no disrespect to them. It's just the, the golf. But um yeah. So I think Tuchel will be mindful of that moving forward as well. I don't think he'll put him in against particularly high pressing teams. Um, yeah. which we'll touch on about who is best suited to high pressing teams a little bit later on. But yeah. just a quick one on 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 misfits. In our squad, I, I I know a lot of fans and stuff. I go to games, I'll chat to people about this, this, that, and the other. Who do we want in January? Who do we want in the summer? People list the centre-backs for next year and they never even give a courtesy mention that Malang Sar might stay around. Yeah. Now, I don't think he necessarily will, right? But this is someone who was signed, loaned back, and then was meant to be loaned, I think it was to Frankfurt this year. Um, and, it, and it broke through on deadline day. He wasn't meant to be here. He got his first opportunity in, in um, the Brentford game in the league, I think. Um, yeah. Um, and he's not, listen, there's moments, and we'll talk at length about the City game. I think he's struggling in build-up in the City game in particular. But he's, what, 21? Not too many seasons of men's football. Didn't even play a huge amount um, on his loan in Porto after the turn yeah. of the year. So he hasn't played a lot of football. I think he's 21, maybe 22, New league, which we're we're all very quick to sort of allow a Havertz a year to acclimatize to a, a new league. Very true. And with Malangsa, he's he's come in, in even in the Spurs game, he's he's played three positions now. If you consider different sides of the centre back and then a left back, um, whether the central player, the left sided player, and then left back in a four, I think he's done really really well. And I think he's someone that doesn't get mentioned at all. Obviously, because he's not Levi Colwell, he's not homegrown, he's not this star standout talent, but Speaking of misfits, you did mention the soul question to me before we recorded, and all it did really is make me think that maybe Melanchthon needs his own little moment at that as well. Yeah, he's uh, he's another one. I think he again. You're looking at. I, I don't think he was poor when he debuted for us, but I, I remember pre-season. I remember. I can't remember the, the first start you were alluding to there, Yaz. But he he's improved quite significantly since those those early minutes and. 
as a solid, if yet unspectacular player, and again, we can talk about build-up particularly, you know, when you're playing somebody of City's calibre, then it's more noticeable. But I think in general, particularly the Spurs games, I, I kind of enjoyed, I actually enjoyed watching his performance. I like the fact that he clearly got, you know, was winding up Lo Celso for the entire game. That little moment where uh, we've, I think we, we won a corner and uh, the, the kind of smiles of him was was almost sort of like uh, baby Rudiger in sort of many respects, the way that he was kind of playing the role. So it's nice to see, again, you know, a guy who... You know, we, we go back to when we first spoke about Trevor Chalo as somebody that not many people would have expected to have played, maybe played a game for, for Chelsea. Uh, you know, saw perhaps in slightly different circumstances, has also come in and been an incredibly useful member of the squad. Because if you take him out of the, the you know, the, the squad at the moment, there aren't that many options, you know, really, given the, the sort of the injuries we've had to centre-back, the, the fact we've had to shift players from centre-back to playing wing-back, etc. Without him at the moment, we don't really have that many options to to play this. So again, I think for, for a free signing, a guy who wasn't meant to be here, um, his contribution has been has been pretty decent. And yeah, while, you know, to your point in terms of expecting him to be a, a spectacular future player for Chelsea, maybe that's not the case. But in terms of showing usefulness and actually contributing this season, you know, it's it's, it's pretty impressive stuff. So yeah, I think he, he definitely deserves his own little moment of, of praise before we dig into the uh, the bones of the Manchester City game here. And you've got to love a defender who wears his socks that low. How are you doing oh, low sock gang, yeah. as a centre-back? That's outstanding. Outstanding belief in uh, being able to back that sort of a look up. Exactly. <laughs> Talk, talking of Saar, um, obviously started in the City game and we'll move on to City here now. So I've got a, a number of, of questions that I want to go through, yes, with this game because... I think, again, you know, we always say the, the benefit of this podcast is that we often have quite a bit of time to go over the games and we, we speak with hindsight and we kind of get our sort of emotional irritations out in WhatsApp and then we, we try and be a little bit more rational when we come on here and discuss things. But we're not too far removed, actually, from the City game, which is, uh, you know, an interesting position for us to be in because we, we both sort of see that as a benchmarking of where this Chelsea team potentially are in in their development, where they need to get to, etc. Um so I'm going to start first of all, in terms of the, the shape that we played, we've, we've seen this kind of little hybrid between a back four, back five, the, the famous Brazil 4-2-2-2. Two, two, two. I think I've got the right number of twos in there. Um, did, did he pick the right shape, do you think, for this game? Or do you think he might have been better off using that kind of hybrid back four, back five system we've seen a bit in the, in the past few weeks? Yeah, man. Uh... The first time, well, first, this is like you said, it's, it's the benefit of this podcast is that we look back on a, on a wider period of time, objectively, look for themes, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, we played City yesterday, so I watched it as a fan yesterday and then with my more analytical eye on today. And there, there really was a sense of not a missed opportunity because City are City and City put in a very City performance. And it's not like we were better by any means, but when the goal went in, all of a sudden, we decided to be more on the front foot. Like, if you watch the last 15 yeah. minutes of the game, it's completely different. And, you know, someone could turn around and say, oh, City sat off. City don't generally do that. They play the same way all the time. So, and you could see the whole our first half, Tuchel, for the whole game, Tuchel was in fury at people not stepping up enough, Um uh, Melanxar, for example, there was there was one moment where um, we played out of a really, really tight City press on our right-hand side. It came over to Melang. Melang should have, by my eye and, and clearly what Tuchel told him after, played it to Marcos Alonso to sort of re restart that that possession. And he just yeah. hoofed it and, and we lost it. it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's tough when, when stuff like that happens. Clearly, it wasn't with the intensity, the intention, the engagement line, and the speed that Tuchel wanted us to play. So on that level, if you're not going to play the right way, it doesn't matter what shape you line up in, right? Um, what I would say, though, and and this is where I think we, we're recording this at a really good time, is this 4-2-2-2, um, I'm just going to call it a 4-2-4 because I can't be bothered to say that many twos and maybe leave <laughs> one out and da, 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 and everything. So the 4-2-4, let's say... Um, it does, we'll talk about it more in the Spurs game, but it, it does allow for certain things that I think will be really necessary for the rest of the season. So I think it's tough to say yesterday he should have done this, should have done that, because clearly the intention wasn't to sit off as much as it is, as it was, yeah. as has happened. Um, you're, you're playing City away, so do you really want to use a shape that you've used twice against Spurs 
um, who are awful, by the way. They're actually worse than I thought they were. Um, and a, bit, a little bit in Chesterfield once Vale and, and so-and-so came on. Is that the shape you really want to do against City away? You know, I'm not sure. So I think I think it's, a, it's, it's quite hypercritical to say, oh, should have done that. Because I think at the end of the day, if we weren't going to play with intensity and harassing people and everything like that, then then um, then it doesn't matter how you line up in a way. Um, and I actually think, we'll talk about this again later, I think the 4 um would have been dangerous against City for a few reasons um, in terms of how they decide to play through that way as opposed to the five where you can fan everyone out and, and sort of let the press come and put it right and then right and then right and then right and then back inside off the last person. We're not able to do that with the 4-2-4 nearly as well. So it was more cautious. It was safe. I guess it's a long-winded answer, but I think it would be hypocritical to say we should have. But yeah, that second half in particular, there was a little bit of, we should have probably just gone at them. Why didn't we go at them? Why didn't we do, why didn't yeah. we get a game more? And he spoke on it himself pre, uh, pre-match, like that we... He went to a 3-5-2, I think it was for the first time all season against City, and the players interpreted that as, let's sit off, and he blamed himself for not getting that message across properly. I think similarly yesterday, it's like, you know, we didn't mess about, we went to what we know and and everything like that, Um, and maybe the players did the same sort of thing. But but as as you're going to allude to when we talk about the gap, it's it's more than just, just what formation we picked, I think. Yeah. All right, London's Blue listeners, this is Editor Jake. On the back end, there's a lot of scheduling with this Tinkerman episode. It's a big boy. You'll realize later on it's split in half, so you're going to hear from me again. But for now, I'm also going to have to throw us to an ad break just real quick just to get some love to our sponsors who keep this show alive. We'll be right back with the Tinkerman who are killing it on this analysis. Now, I think one follow-up from this, Yaz, is we... We have now coined, I think it's actually becoming quite popular as well, so I'm quite happy with that. We've coined the term indented wingbacks, and obviously your German pronunciation is slightly better than mine at this point in time, but I'll, I'll leave that out for the time being. Given if you don't the, use it, you lose it. So that's, that German phrase has gone right out of my head. I'm going to have to get back on. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I think the one thing I, I would ask you is that given that the the style of play that we were starting to see develop with Chilwell and Rhys James and then becoming very kind of prominent parts of of kind of overloading in central areas and, and that kind of underlapping run and sort of the, this kind of combination of using them as sort of more midfield players and then also getting them really wide that the really interesting ways that they were being used is it worth or, or, or I, I know that this is kind of a loaded question here but when you're comparing the options that we have with with Cesar and, and Marcus as their replacements does it make sense to to try and play the same way I kind of feel that sometimes we try to use Alonso in a similar way to Chilwell um, and, and obviously, they, they, for me, they've got quite different skills. So I know when we looked at the data a while back, they're actually fairly similar in many respects. But maybe it's more just from an yeah. athletic point of view. But it is the that, it is the athleticism. It is, yeah, yeah. So h- how would you so rest of the season? You obviously Chilwell's out. Um, how would you how would you combat that? Looking going for the rest of the season on that left hand side, assuming Reese is back in in four to six weeks. What is there? Is there a way that you would necessarily try and get around that, or, or are you changing style for the time being? What, what would be your approach to sort of solving that issue that we're seeing at the moment? Yeah, so I think when you look at the numbers with Alonso and Chilwell, and we did mention it last time, is is the, the things in terms of like how many tackles, how many pressures, how many interceptions, how many uh, expected assists, chances created, everything like that. Alonso goes and he does the job, but it's, it's the intangible stuff that you can just see, such as getting on a yellow within the first five and having everyone terrified because he's up against a winger who dares to run at him. Um, yeah. And and it's, just, and it's just, listen, like he, he, this isn't even to just insult him or anything. The guy's made an amazing career out of what he has, but he's not agile, he's not coordinated. And if you put him up against what a winger is meant to be, 1v1, which City clearly tried to isolate that early, had Sterling on him. And, and it's just going to be, Listen, if Sterling wasn't offside for that penalty, I was I was so confident that Alonso was going to get a second yellow. So in that respect, he did well. Um, I think your wider point about this, the system that we had was so dependent on not just the type of wingback, but the performance of them. Obviously, Chua was having yeah. just an unseemly year of scoring and Reese was becoming as important to us as I think Trent Alexander-Arnold was to um, Liverpool. And so I think, of course, it makes sense to change. And I, it, 
it honestly, it wouldn't surprise me. You know, it would surprise me if we don't. If we just carry on now, three four three, three five two, da 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 da, da in sort of what we saw last season with Tuchel, for the remainder of this season with Aspilicueta and and Alonso. I'll be really surprised. And I don't see it as a very too cool-like thing to do. I think he's too smart, too analytical to just, just replace them just with those players. Like, Aspilicueta, yeah. I think on the last episode, I said Aspilicueta was done. I'm wrong again. He's done it again. He's fooled <laughs> me again because I think his performances have been really, really positive. Um, I think he was fantastic against Brighton and Liverpool. Um, I think he was good with the jobs he had to do with City. But then again, we're asking him to do stuff in advanced areas of the pitch that City don't ask Kyle Walker to do or, or yeah. Merrick Laporte to do, who who is essentially as agile and, and forward-thinking as, as Aspie at this stage of his career. Um, so I think we're on a hide into nothing and I, I think it's unfair almost to the players to put them in these positions and expect these things out of them that they're just not capable of doing. Um, so I I really do think that this little pivot to a 4-2-4, um, which we'll talk in detail later on how that exactly works. I do think that is with a mind of, look, we're not going to have these wingbacks back. You don't want to rush Reese James back either um, for the majority of the rest of the season. And it makes no sense to me to carry on playing in a system that was designed to get their 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 skill sets at the forefront of it. And I also think, yeah, we talk with indented wingbacks. Well, I think well, if you look at Callum and Ziyech in each leg of those Spurs games... It's kind of a natural progression of that anyway. Um, yeah. Like it's just That's a, a sort point, of... Actually, yeah. yeah, like, I mean, I mentioned it, I think maybe episode one or episode two, but I, I always really liked it when Conte put Pedro as one of the wingbacks. Um, I think he was actually on the left-hand side as well most of the time, maybe it was on the right. But it, that was just a more attacking guy um, in the position, but he still had to do all of the exact same jobs, defending it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is a bit better than that in that you're putting Ziyech and Callum. Obviously, guys, you, you kind of can do a wingback role, but they have a lot more license to come inside and rotate and everything like that. I would be really surprised if we don't move to this 4-2-4 slash 3-5-2 without a ball, 5-3-2 without a ball. Um, I'd be really surprised. And I, So our next game, I think, is Brighton in the league. I think we might not see it against Brighton for reasons that we'll touch on later. But I think we'll see it after that um, for a load of reasons. But I, I, again, I think it's just harsh to suggest City was the game to to start that. You know? Yeah. I think one of the well, there, there actually, actually there was there was a number of interesting personnel decisions that Tuchel made, and there's a couple that I want to touch on here. And the first one, and uh, let, let's just say I, I want to say it's a trend at this point, but it does seem to be something that Tuchel does, whereby. Liverpool and, and City and maybe teams who he has, uh, I don't want to say greater respect for in terms of their midfield play, but a team like Brentford, I think I've got a very underrated midfield. Um, cover for Jorginho, that decision, I think, today in a game that maybe could have used more of a controlling aspect as in sort of the Jorginho skill set at midfield versus um, sort of the, we'll touch on it a little bit later, but the kind of approach versus Liverpool. Would you would you have gone with Jorginho in this game in particular, maybe even for for Kante, or, or what, what would sort of been the the rationale behind the the Cover and Kante midfield beyond the fact that obviously as as athletes they they can compete with with what City have in in central areas? Yeah, I think with City it's not even. I think you kind of yeah, it's it's interesting, right? So you you mentioned you've kind of shown your hand a little bit there, Joe. <laughs> in, in of the, course, yeah. yeah. The Jordan you know, has to live on. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, you you show your hand in that, like, you've said it's emerging as a theme and it's against teams that maybe he has more respect for. I, I think he's too German, and I mean that as a compliment, to to be that emotional about it. I think he literally just goes, how many, how, how quick are the people that they're against? How many pressures do they win in the middle? Um, and see it as an advantage of, right, brilliant. If we put two midfielders in there who can, on their day, spin and bypass any sort of man-to-man pressure that they get, um, then that's a massive advantage and we can get past that pressure so much easier and stuff. Um, so it is interesting that I think Liverpool, we'll touch on the sort of those games, but Liverpool was like a perfect storm for a Kante-Kovacic yeah. um, um, midfield. But then... Uh, there, there was kind of the flip side of that where everyone started getting a bit squeaky bum time with 60 minutes gone where you realise, hold on, we're 
we're going end to end against Mo Salah and that turned in a basketball game. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's just like, you, you messaged me on the day as well. And I think this is maybe something we can talk about with the gap is you said, Oh, that was so much more enjoyable. Um, and then boring headmaster Tuchel, you didn't say this, but this is me added ad-libbing, brought on Jorginho to settle <laughs> things down. And then, yeah, the game had lost some spectacle and then he put Callum back on to, to kind of stretch it again, because I think he, he saw that it was there for the taking, but but it's that constant balancing act again of, look, we don't like as fans the city positional play ad nauseum style of meticulous control. It is so boring. I asked my mates today, I said, do any of you like actually watch City for 90 minutes? Because if you do, you love football too much because they are not <laughs> they are not enjoyable in any way. Pels does. Shout out to Pels, but Pels 100% watches City. I don't, I don't believe him. Yeah. I don't believe him. I don't believe him. <laughs> the guy watches too much Crystal Palace with uh, Elise and, and everyone having fun and Colin Lampard to, to enjoy City. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, like I think then you saw the other side of it. It's like, hold on a minute. It's, if we use, you said basketball, if we use another sort of uh, sporting reference or MMA analogy, everyone likes to see the strikers, you know, it's Gaethje, it's, it's Conor McGregor, they're the people who, yeah. you know, Dan Hardy back in the day, Max Holloway, they're the people who people want to watch, pay to watch. But there's a reason could be Nurmagomedov never lost because he, he would get you on the ground and you weren't getting up like that. So it's, it's that constant balance of, yeah, we want to be exciting and fun and everything like that. But then, but then there is the control element. And I think with City... Again, I think it's it's so tough. I think I think with the way the game was going, I think it would have been easy, interesting to bring Jorginho on um, because Kova in particular, I think. Well, Kante, like you mentioned, and I'm going to ask you Wait for a minute. Yeah. Kova, I think, just struggled. Kova with me, Kovacic with me. I really like Kovacic. I love to pay to watch him. You go see him at Stamford Bridge, and the tech is a joke. He does things that make you fall in love with football. But I do feel like. He struggles to adapt to the pace of a game. If a game is quick and bluster and chaos and it rewards being daring and going into spaces and, and dribbling back 10 yards to go left five yards to go around the long way, then amazing. He looks unreal. But then against in, in games like yesterday, like against City where KDB does a job on him, um, where they cynically foul him and get to his head that way, I think he does just struggle to just pop it off one touch and then let someone else handle it and go into a more threatening position. Yeah, so um, that chance he conceded was the prime example of that. The Grealish chance, exactly. Like yeah, if, if that's that George, was really, really if, poor. I was, I would say that that's Jorginho, but I think if that's most midfielders who, who have passed in as their kind of go-to thing, you get it. And just to paint the picture for people who, who can't remember, he got it off Alonso now. Uh, the, the audacious one was a little one-two around that player. Um but he could have just popped it. Kepa was shouting, pop it back to Saar. We can clear it. He can that that was the Jorginho pass. That was 100% what Jorginho would have yeah. done. And and it goes to Kepa and it goes out the other way. And to be honest, if we're, if we're being real, that's that's what Rodri does. That's what City would have done. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, a, it's a really tough balance. And I think Tuchel, until now, has, has got that right. Um, I think it is I think it is a difficult one. Don't forget, City know Jorginho very, very well in the Pep. We we outbid them for him. Like Pep was was Jorginho's kind of said that I joined because of Sari. He was gonna so they will know Jorginho's tendencies and everything so so well. So on that regard, I think Tuchel might have Guardiola'd himself with overthinking a little bit. Um, but clearly the idea was to to hit people on the break um, in in City and that you've got Lukaku, Pulisic, and Ziyech. Ziyech can, can ping it fifty yards and get you out of the pitch quicker than anyone else in the squad. Pulisic is probably the best one v one player in the squad. Kovacic and Kante can get you up the pitch. Um, obviously, that that kind of the the tires get stuck in the mud when then you're waiting for Alonso and, and Aspi to join those attacks. There's there's <laughs> the there's the difficult balancing act. But I think that was yeah. clearly the idea. The fact that it didn't come to fruition, like even Ziyech, Ziyech had two moments in the first half where um, he put that awful pass through for Lukaku, yeah. um, where really, he, it, for me, if he takes two touches, then Pulisic is joining, Lukaku can change his run because he is good off the ball. And so now City have a different proposition. Then like a minute, two and a half minutes later, he gets it on the left and he just puts a, a hope, hope and hit and hope cross in first time. When again, you wanted to sort of drive, cut it back like like a more conserve. And that that screamed to me like a player who'd been told pre-match, we want to move it quickly and went way overboard with it. Um, 
and just got it wrong. And I think that's that was where the thinking was with the Kovacic. I, I'm not sure if Jorginho would have made a huge difference yesterday. I think we actually played out quite well at times, um, especially second half and a few times in the first. Um, and, and I think it was the, just the quality and the forward line and the and the bravery of the players really that that was the big difference. But I think the Kante thing was really interesting because because Kante was was great with Liverpool, came on and, and saved the game against Brighton. We went to a midfield three there and he and he really solidified things in there. Um but he was a passenger against City. And I, it's been yeah. quite a while since we've seen a game kind of happen around Kante. And I just was so I guess it's flipping it back. I'm not sure on the Jorginho thing. I think I get where the rationale was yesterday, going with the two runners and, and stuff like that, because City will press aggressively. But where, where are you seeing Kante's career at the moment? Obviously, he's in and out of the team with injuries. Is he the same player? Is he as good a player, just less frequently? Do you see him being here for the next two, three years or, or, or longer or shorter? Oof. Where are you with Kante? again he's a little bit like Aspi when you make bold statements about him he has a habit of of coming back and biting you like two games later but if I was to say at this point I think maybe Kante peaked in that Champions League run last year and I think I've I've, I've not seen in that level of football a, a Chelsea player and I'm, I'm even going back here to to some of the the greats from the 2000s and you know the 2010 period I don't think I've seen somebody put in that many insanely high level, like nine out of 10, 10 out of 10 performances in a row at that stage of, of a competition. And looking at the player then who was just a complete and utter force of nature versus what we've seen this season, lots of injuries, lots of in and out of the team. I think he lacks rhythm. There was a moment yesterday, which actually was, I think the first time I really pondered the, the, this question about what you do with Kante in detail where the ball broke in midfield and it was him versus Rodri and, and Rodri isn't particularly quick yes he's taller has a longer stride etc but he's not he's not sharp and Rodri actually beat Kante to the ball but also managed to hook a little pass out to I think it was a, the left back at the time for example and it's the first time in those really short distances where you Kante is electric you know he always wins the ball he always gets a foot in or gets a toe on the ball and and that was when I was in my thinking in my head has he lost that little burst of pace, that half a yard that makes him, you know, where he sees things so far ahead of people when he, in defensive situations, his ability to intercept and his ability to win tackles isn't just because he's a wonderful athlete. He's such an intelligent player defensively off the ball. But is he now losing that little step of energy where he could get there? So I think when you're looking at him in the in the future, um, yes, I still think that he this season he will have games and performances. I think, you know, you mentioned the Liverpool game. I thought he was he was superb against Liverpool. He will have games of that level of quality in you and, and everyone will go, oh, you know, he's he's still the same player. I just think now if you look at the the average performance that we're getting out of Kante this season, um, where he might have always been a seven and a half and a ten out of ten and above historically, I think at the moment he's six and a half to seven, maybe in terms of performances. Some performances, City game, I, I didn't think he played particularly well. And it's not digging him out or, or suggesting that he's he's finished, but there surely is now a conversation among Chelsea's hierarchy that we are incredibly dependent, at least in the the top the top games, in the top sort of tournaments, the Champions League and the big games, Kante has always been a, I think, a player that we've heavily relied upon for his skill set. If that starts to dwindle and then, you know, the, the sort of the offshoot of that is then the knock-on effect for the for the back three, the wing-backs around him, the fours, etc., ability to play in transition, ability to play at pace, whatever you want to look into. If that then starts to dwindle, I think that has a huge knock-on effect. So in terms of where we end up with him, Yaz, to be honest with you, um, I still think he's very much going to be handled in cotton wool for the rest of the season, maybe rolled out for stretches of games or certainly built up to play in, in the bigger games. But the injuries, the you know, the age that he's he's sort of entering into now, and I think just the amount of football and the way that he plays the game over the past couple of years, I think it is starting to take a toll on, on, on him this season. And like I said, while we will get a Liverpool performance, I think every now and then, I still think that maybe the 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 standard Kante performance that we've come to expect in seasons gone by that seems to have have dropped a level maybe two levels to not necessarily City you know that's perhaps an unfair comparison but he has had games this season where he's played and been incredibly incredibly quiet uh, quiet by his you know very very high standards so I'm unsure whether the club are looking at a replacement internally uh, you know whether somebody like Conor Gallagher could do something like that or you know you know I'm a big fan of Aurelien Schirmeni at Monaco who has a very similar skill set both from an eye test perspective and a numbers perspective as well 
Um, but I do think they need to start looking. If they want to have that profile of player, the ball winner, the, the guy who can uh, dovetail with a, with a passer, with somebody like a cover or Jorginho, they need, I think they need to start looking to the, to the future with that. Yeah, and I think, um, I think one thing as well is maybe it's not physically he's lost a step, but if you, if you keep having the sort of two-year spell that he's had where you're in the team, you're out of the team, it's an ankle knock, it's a knee knock, it's a, it's a thigh knock, um, it's a strain here, there. You do lose a little bit of trust in your body where when you're yeah. 23 to 28, you just don't care. You're just running, jumping, whatever. And listen, I've just hit 30. So I'm listen, as I speak right now, there's still a little twinge <laughs> in my left lower back from, from the home reno. So um, you, you just got to be really mindful of stuff. And, and I think maybe with someone like him, this isn't to reduce him to a physical player. He's he's far, far more than that. But yeah, so much of his game has been about getting here, there, everywhere, quicker than everybody else and timing things to perfection and maybe putting his body on the line when he's going to ground to win things, knocking knees, everything like that. I think there may be a little bit of, of that is just... If we rely on him less, he can trust his body more and he won't feel uh, indebted to us to, to miss time and stuff like that. So, And I think Gallagher's a really interesting one because because he's making headlines for his goal score and everyone assumes that he's maybe one of the front three of a 3-4-3 three, three or, or this sort of penalty box player. I do see him a lot more as a Kante replacement than a Mount rival. Um, yeah, But I maybe agree. maybe that's something to talk about on a recruitment episode in, in future mm. and stuff. I think finishing up the, the City game here, uh, yeah, so I want to just maybe give you a little bit of time to riff on, let's say the, the front three that started the game, um, Romelu Lukaku's performance, which I think looking back and with hindsight and less less rage of the fact that we weren't playing particularly, well, we weren't playing poorly, but you know, in sort of the heat of the moment, you think you're playing terribly. Um, Lukaku's performance in sort of the context of, of a watchback, but also the, the lack of Mason Mount in a big game. I know... Um, probably having his his minutes managed, etc. But probably the first big game in a while that Mason hasn't started. So a little bit on on Lukaku and Mason, and then we can move on to looking at a little bit of the gap between us and City. I can't believe Tuchel hasn't like been asked about Mount. It doesn't. I haven't seen anything. I that did seem very strange. Yes. considering the profile and you know, like I what, can't, top, like, top goals and assists as well this season. So I mean, he's the he's. Uh, He's within the top three to five performers every single match day. Standard. Like, that's not even a debate. I don't think anyone can have. Um, surely it was a knock. Um, and then apparently it was like warming up at half time. Um, and it was a quite a rigorous half time warm up. I don't know if he went out, they tried it, and he just said, I think I can only hack 10, 15 here, if that. And then maybe with 15, I think he came on a 77 minute, then Tuka was just like, let's just try something. Um, Put because, one really good ball in from memory. Yeah, like this is the thing. It was a game that needed. I think every Chelsea game needs him. I think. I, I think we're already down. Chilwell, we're down. Reese James. I don't think Chelsea can afford to then be down a Mason Mount as well. If you asked uh, Liverpool to play without a Trent, um, a Mane, or you know what I mean, you, you miss too many players. Obviously, things change um, unless you're City and you're financially doping. Anyway, so um, but <laughs> I think with with uh, Mount. Um, as, and the three who started that game. Again, like I say, I've got the rationale, but I think it kind of speaks to a wider gulf between us and City. Now, depending on who yeah. you speak to, um, I mean, you and me, I think, have slightly dis disagree disagree on this. Um, so, I mean, I just this is, this is less on the game itself, but the game itself, I think, I think was... Closer than it may be realised. I know the stats weren't kind in terms of the amount of shots that we had. And obviously you're going to give up territory to City away without huge outlets on the wings. Like I get that. But I think a lot of the game was quite cagey. I think they're very good at stopping counters, partly cynically with, with Nick in cover because he's someone who's going to blow into the second into the next half. But, <laughs> but also, also they are very good at it. Like, listen, as a team, they get back rapidly like they, yeah. there's clearly more buy-in there than there is at Chelsea. And that isn't to suggest players aren't behind Tuchel and, and everything like that. I think, I don't think people know what buy-in is until you see it 100% unerring, wholehearted buy-in. And I think City and Liverpool in their sort of Champions League league winning years have that where 
they are just going to run themselves into the ground to get back, to be in their spots, to do to do the system justice. And I think with Chelsea, you know, Tuchel's been there 12 months, he's a new player here and there. Some players have been there since they were eight, he's only been there 12 months. We know what Chelsea's like, do you really have to listen to the manager, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but for me, I think we just would build up past some really, really high pressure and and do well. And there's, there was one down near the right back position, one down near the left back position, one out of midfield. And it would get to the final third order decision makers or Rom or Lukaku. And that was for me where you saw the biggest gap. And this isn't to say that Rom needs to bury every chance. Like he's, I think he's he, his XG for the season, I think is four and he's got five goals. Great. Fine. Yeah. But then there is that sort of, outside the data element of you spend a hundred million pounds on a striker, they kind of need to be the guy to make the deciding yeah. position in a big game. I don't think that chance with the good safe from medicine was as easy as everybody has sort of seemed to say, oh, one-on-one and you can't bag it. Personally, I think that was, that was a good save. Maybe, yeah, you could do a little bit better, but I think that was a good save. It's definitely not one of the chances that Lukaku's missed, which I'm annoyed about, which some have been this year. So for example, against Spurs, they had one in each leg, which were three headers. Um, that were just wide and then it was a sort of posture clap and wave to who crosses him. It's like, no, you, you need to score those. Like that's, that's why you're here. Um, I think my my big thing about the the gap and the difference is is those players around Rom with Rom and and it's just huge. And I think this is where you can't like you can't separate um people like Ziyech, Havertz, Hudson-Odoi, Pulisic, Werner in their performance this season at all. If I ask people to rank them, I get a different ranking every single time. There is no hierarchy whatsoever. Um, I think Pulisic was was really absent. Um, Ziyech had yeah. two two moments to affect the game positively, arguably three if he, if he does better with the shot after Lukaku's shot failed in all three of those moments. Um Hudson Odoi came on and looked bright, but Hudson Odoi against Brighton was abysmal. Um, so you can't just say, ah, oh, he should have played. Well, no, because when he last did, he was awful. Um, Werner, we don't need to go into Werner. I actually think Werner, looking at the Spurs game and, and the City game, I actually think Werner's arguably in as good a form as any of them. And that's saying something. And I think when you compare those players to City, I, I tweeted this recently. Um, I just looked at sort of, average numbers because this podcast is all about looking at trends etc etc and if you it's, it's a little bit of a dated um thing that i looked at because i'm going off of maybe two games ago but if you look at city's forwards or or players who get in positions to score and create you've got silver sterling jesus gundawan mares they are all robotic in their efficiency they all get the chances they get and they finish them. It's, it is honestly, if you look at the average XG per chance and they just finish exactly what they're supposed to finish, the chances are slightly better chances because of the nature of who they have inviting players out to create those gaps. And obviously their system, they just know like the back of their hand. But then if you look at our boys, Ziyech, Hudson-Odoi, Alonso, uh, Loftus-Cheek, um, Havertz these are the people who get into scoring positions for us and they're all underperforming on their XG we can all think of instances off the top of our head for all of them where the finishing hasn't been good enough Timo Werner is massively underperforming as as is standard now for him in front of goal and I think when you talk about the gap which I'm sure we're going to get into now between us and City when I if you actually look at the cold numbers we create about roughly the same amount of shots per game. They have 18 shots a game. We have 14 shots a game, roughly, right? The XG per shot is about dead even. It's it's about 0.11 or 0.12 per shot. Averaged out, obviously, that's that's not the perfect data. You're going to get some which are higher value and everything like that. Average is not perfect. but So on average, we, we create nearly as much as them and nearly as good quality as them, and we just don't put it away. But then you look at kind of the, the live touches and the possession touches, and they have so many more in 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 the final third and i'm talking like live non sort of de- dead ball touches because i think a lot of our better chances come from live and, and dead ball issues so in the final third they keep it if they have a player they get into a threatening position and it doesn't work they turn they go back they start again sterling mares silver all of these people foden went past about four of our guys yesterday at one point and put a great cross across we don't have players with the quality to do that and 
you can say, oh, Christian Pulisic scored this goal, or Hakim Ziyech against Ajax was fantastic, or Kai Havertz in Germany was great. In Chelsea's shirts, they've all flattered to deceive. They've all been given equal chances. I think Tuchel is in this rock and hard place where we mentioned it on the we mentioned it on the last episode, and nothing has really changed in these games to change my mind on any mm. of them. Yeah. He has players that need minutes, but you have to earn minutes and none of them are earning minutes, but then they need the minutes to get the rhythm and to stay happy, but then they don't deserve the minutes because they're not performing in the minutes. And and it's just this vicious cycle of average mediocrity that City don't have. And obviously there might be an exceptional case, but Liverpool don't either. Minamino's gone and got a goal today. Jota scores more or less what you give him. Mane and Salah are who they're dependent on. So... For me, that's where the gap is. And I, I know it sounds like um, it's oversimplifying it, but I genuinely think if you have that threat up there that you can't let Mares in behind, you can't let Grealish in behind. If we had something akin to that where, oh my God, if we let these guys behind us or if we let these guys get a sniff, then then they're, they're going to score and we're going to win. And we just don't have it. People feel like they can always get a goal against us. Brighton, late goal, um, Villa were on the counter relentlessly. Yeah. Watkins and Ings just slicing through midfield and back three. Teams have a fear when they go to City that if they lose it, they won't see it again for three minutes. And if they don't see it for three minutes, they might concede. That isn't there. And I feel like the, the forward players are the easiest identifiable issue with that. Now, I know the reason I sort of, what I said at the top of this is people disagree. I think you maybe feel that it's deeper in the team. So, so... Why do, why do you think that is? Because I feel like we get out enough, we get to the final third enough, but we can't sustain the pressure there. We don't have the quality to play in tight spaces, to naturally collaborate and overlap and and have Cancelo come and join and then Foden fan out and then Grealish come inside. And we just don't have the fear factor in those players. And I think that has a cascading effect on the whole team. But what's your thoughts on it? And the gap in yeah, general, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the... I think there's 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 a couple of elements here, yes, and, and I think the the point you've made about the forwards there has actually made me think about them in in detail. And I think the thing that I would say is when when we play, and certainly when we have the sort of let's say kind of uh, heavy possession in in their final third, I I often feel, and I'm not sure if this is borne out by the data, but we seem to I think concede possession really cheaply. Um, you know, Timo Werner, I, you know, I'm not going to, this isn't beating on players, but his, his touch, his ability to retain possession, same with Christian Pulisic, you know, dribbling down blind alleys, um, you know, losing possession regularly. I think sometimes Ziyech, instead of, as you say, uh, taking that extra touch, taking that time, again, maybe this is under instruction, but that sort of kind of mentality where he's at Ajax, where he's the guy, where he's using the possession, you know, all the time, sometimes rushes it, sometimes forces the issue. We can see possession. Uh, same with Callum. He gets caught, you know, gets caught in the ball. I, I can't remember what, the, I think it might be the Brighton game. You showed me some clips of, um, you know, frequently losing possession when we're countering or when we're trying to to play sort of slightly quicker through mid, um, sort of the middle areas of the pitch as well. So when I look at City, you know, the, their ability to, to kind of sustain pressure, particularly with their attacking players. I don't feel like Sterling is going to lose the ball too often. I don't feel that, that uh, Grealish loses the ball particularly often. Uh, Foden's the same. They seem to have that ability to sort of keep that pressure and keep that momentum up. Whereas I think we often, you know, we can build up through the phases either quickly or, or it can be quite deliberate at times. But, but when we get to the final third, I just think that we relinquish the ball too easily at times. Whether that, as you say, is bad... Um, uh, a sort of bad in product, a poor cross, a poor, a poor pass selection, or somebody just getting tackled or pushed off the ball. That seems to be certainly something that happens with our forwards. Now, in terms of like the, the general gap itself, um, you know, I look at City and it's unfortunate really because they seem to have looked at the Chelsea blueprint when they took over the club and, and realised all of the positive things we did and then tried to lessen all of the negative parts of the club. And the more that I look at sort of the, the squad composition and I'm not going to go into this in, in huge detail right now because I, I think this is going to be a carved out episode at some point that, that Yaz and I will talk about. Um, but the the bouncing between different managers, different styles, different types of players, the way that we recruit kind of for opportunity, not always necessarily looking at the, the way that a player with great numbers and great data would apply to the Premier League. Um, we don't have that consistent methodology from front to back that City seem to have. You know, if, if Guardiola leaves at the end of the season they can get a manager in who is stylistically very similar. They have all the players in place. They have all the recruitment to, to play the same system, to play the same way. 
Whereas I think with us, we have this sort of very much a hodgepodge of, of players from different systems, different eras, different coaches. Uh, some players being very wedded to coaches and then becoming redundant. We know when we get rid of the manager in 18 months time, I just think it's incredibly difficult. So say someone like Tuchel, for example, you know, I, I sympathize with him to come up with a coherent kind of uh, game model or plan to, to play to. You, you would want at least 20 out of your 23 squad members to be able to play that style of football. I think at the moment, if he had the, the, the starting 11, the strongest Chelsea 11 that he would want to play every single week, I think we'd be really competitive. But the departure, both not just in terms of ability, but style and, and athletic qualities and, and really sort of profile of player, when we lose a Reese James, when we lose a Chilwell, uh, if we were to lose a uh, Rudiger for, for a significant period of time, a uh, Kante or a Kovar, for example, um, even somebody like Mason Mount, for example, the guys that are coming in are so kind of, I think, such massive departures in terms of style from those that are making us successful. It must be incredibly difficult to, to continue to try and coach that particular way. So I kind of feel that we are not necessarily seeing different you know, different kind of approaches every single time we play. But I think we've said it a number of times in this podcast, it feels like we have a different starting 11 almost every single week. I think we've we've played the most players this season. I think we've had the most uh, sort of different team selections as well. And that for me, certainly as, a, as an ex-player, both in, in two different sports, but for, I suppose from your coaching side as well, it's difficult to get the chemistry into the side to get the, the style of play across when you know you are having a you know having to go from somebody like Reese James to to Aspilicueta at wing back or you know uh, you know Malang Sarr at left centre back as opposed to Rudiger and Rudiger's ability to accelerate into midfield. Um, even having you know Jorginho being injured this season, Kante being in and out of the side, Kovacic's you know kind of rise to prominence in midfield, but then not being having anyone to pair him with. Uh, Barkley, Sal, you know, uh, Barkley, there's so many different profiles in this squad. And I think, again, when you're looking at the gap, if City lose a top player, all right, okay, maybe their squad quality is better in terms of depth, but they, they're very similar. You know, uh, Grealish can sort of do similar things to Foden, who could do similar things to Silva, who could do similar things to Mares. Whereas you look at sort of the Chelsea squad, and as you're saying, you know, you've got, you know, someone like Hudson Adoy is, is for me completely different to a Pulisic, who is very different to a Werner, who is incredibly different to a Havertz, who is completely different to, to Lukaku. And while sometimes having that variety, I think, can be a, a good thing within a squad, I think when you're trying to build something, you're trying to build a style of play, a way of of of, of kind of, I suppose, again, you know, to, to borrow the term, to close the gap on City, who have really set the pace at the moment. You need that consistency of selection. You need, I think, a, a closer grouping of of player skill sets to be able to, you know, switch between players to, to cover for injuries, to cover for things of that nature. So without, again, going sort of too much into the, the detail side of it here, I just think at the moment that, that we are not built, given the, the squad that we have, I don't think that we are built to really compete on more than one front. So, you know, if we if we can go far in, in the Champions League and, you know, we're happy sort of sitting in third and fourth in the Premier League, then we can focus on that. I think we're great in one-off games. We seem to be a a really, really electric cup side who can go and put on a performance. We can pull out a tactical masterclass. We can get up for those sorts of games. But the consistency that you would want over a Premier League season, I think not only comes from obviously having, I think personally, better players in, in certain areas of the pitch, slightly different profiles, more Premier League um, kind of stylistic fits as well, but also just having that that quality of, of depth as well. You know, when you are going into, um, again, you know, with all due respect to his performance, somebody like Malang Saar, starting against Manchester City away, did play pretty well. I think him and Alonso, again, were slightly modelled and then the communication, Sterling was on fire and they found it quite difficult to determine what they were doing with him. But somebody of, of Saar's ability shouldn't necessarily be starting a, a game of that magnitude for, for Chelsea um, in, in that sort of game as well. And again, you know, to, to, going back to the, the point, I suppose, closing up on in terms of the gap here, the... You know the amount we've spent. I think it's it's close to about three hundred million pound. Yes, on on Lukaku, on Pulisic, on Werner, on Havertz, on Ziyech. That's three hundred million pounds worth of talent. And and you know to your point earlier, all I would say maybe bar Lukaku, all massively underperforming their their xG. Um, all really failing to have the impact that you would expect to have there. But I think a lot of that comes down to to the recruitment. You know anybody who watched Bundesliga, and I'm going to use Werner as an example here the way that he enjoyed success in Germany was not anywhere near 
the style of football that's played in the Premier League. Certainly when Chelsea play teams, you do not see teams defending on the halfway line. You know, a lot of his goals were, were almost just him out sprinting people from the halfway line, the amount of space he had. When you zoom in on his his games, his touch is, is still poor in Germany, but there's, you know, he's not under pressure because of the style of football over there. So there are things in the scouting, there are things, I think, in the way that we're identifying players that are, are not closing the gap on City. But... Um, I think I'll try and save some of those for, for a later episode, but there's there's loads, there's loads to unpack in there. But I think ultimately it's, it's to do with the way that the squad has been composed over a number of years. Different managers want different players in different styles. And because we as a club don't really have a sort of identifying philosophy beyond winning trophies, which is absolutely fine if that's the way to go. But once that, that ability fades away, particularly when it looks, you know, again, the Premier League seems to be out of reach this season. Once that ability to continuously win trophies sort of starts to dissipate somewhat, then you look at the squad and you see what they can and can't deliver. Um, I think that that's where the, the club needs to start looking at. And I, I will actually I agree with what you presented earlier, that the forwards actually probably make a lot of sense in terms of investment. I still think that we lack a, a title winning spine, title winning group of, of, of players in midfield. I still I'm not as high on our centre-backs as other people. And obviously with the, the wing-backs or full-backs that we have, we don't really have ad- adequate replacements for the likes of, of Reese and, and Ben at this point in time. We probably did, but they've done out of Southampton and Brighton. Um, but in terms of the, the way the squad's composed, I just think that that is something that the club really have to address going forward because we can't keep lurching from left to right, different styles, different, different managers, bringing in specialist players, bringing in players who fit specific systems to then get rid of that manager in, in 18 months' time. City have a more coherent view. You kind of that's kind of where on it, the word, I think, which you've just said systems, right? And all I heard last night, um, people, and not just last night, but in general, and it's, it's, it's particularly pertaining to Lukaku, right? Because you mentioned uh, Werner as a very specific type of player. He's great coming in off the left into space and he'll finish. I mean, even the finishing part is deserted. Yeah, that, that's, his, that's his Bundesliga right. goal highlight rule, cool. essentially, yeah. And then, and then Lukaku has his own... Like, listen, everyone knew that he was going to struggle if he was going to be a pure target man. He's never been that guy. He's a poacher and he's great in transition for smaller clubs like Everton and West Brom. We don't get that many moments in transition. We get maybe three a game. So you're signing a player who looks amazing in transition, but struggles to sort of, you know, contribute against deep blocks Well, we have the ball 65% of the time in 80% of our games. So there's problem number one. I think, and everyone was like, oh no, you can't play Lukaku like a target man. With, with the greatest respect to Lukaku, I've gone through the last four games or whatever, Brighton, Brighton, he had some, re- well, Villa, he come on, he changed the game. He was fantastic against Villa. And um, he, I see, I have always just seen him as a poacher who's unfortunate to have the body he has because then he gets cast as this drug bar. Oh, that was the thing that followed him because of his hair and whatever. Yeah. Cast as this drug bar player. Well, he's never been good or great back to goal. He was okay in Italy because the, the, it's half the pace. He doesn't yeah. have to press and expend energy in Italy. If you go and watch any Serie A game, the, the pressing is not there. Like they, they prefer to sit off. It's the Italian sort of way. Obviously, with certain teams, obviously, there's the, it's modernized. I'm not saying it's like Italian 90, but <laughs> especially a Conte team, they do not press and harry the same way Tuchel expects his team to. I, one thing I will say on Lukaku, and I think I've mentioned this before, and I do have some sympathy in that I think he has like a very NFL body type that is suitable for a few explosive sprints and then and then he has to conserve energy for that as opposed to like a Werner who could go up and down court on an NBA court all day and just will run for hours and hours and hours. I have some sympathy that he maybe isn't not fit enough. I don't think it's as simple as fit enough. People are different, like people have different limitations, but the level of pressing he does show and not just the effort of press the awareness of where he needs to push people and what areas the ball needs to go to are, are embarrassing. And, and I will say embarrassing because the amount of good possessions Brighton got out of him, just letting people stroll past him within touching distance, by the way, if he jogged for a split second, he's on them. Um, City, obviously, okay, maybe you don't press City as much. Go and watch the Liverpool game and see how many opportunities we got in transition just from Mount and Havertz following on pressing Kelleher and the ball being cleared, pressing Fabinho, pressing Konate, pressing Van Dijk, 
uh, Spurs first 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 leg against Spurs, and I will talk about that leg in particular with the four two four and stuff. Where does the first goal come from? It comes from Havertz pushing Tanganga to play the ball out wide, bang, and then Alonso's on him. It starts up there, and Rom has really really failed to deliver on the off the ball stuff that people again. It's not new. We knew this. It was it it was in the data. It was in the very obvious numbers. I'm not talking about the super duper stats bomb. Have to go and scrape something off Python secret numbers. <laughs> I'm talking about the FB ref bog standard numbers. He didn't press. He doesn't press. He arguably doesn't have the body type to do it because he needs to conserve himself to sprints. So I don't think you even have to go to a, a Werner to to be an extreme case of buying the wrong type of player for what you want to do. I still, and I think I said this on the last episode, I'm very interested in how much Tuchel really, really wanted Lukaku. I know he said he did. I get that. I get it. I get it. Publicly on record, reference point, blah, 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 blah. But this is a club who's tried to sign him and succeeded two out of three times. So clearly the club are fans. Um, so yeah. that's that's the one for the recruitment episode. Just the last one on the gap. And this is where, and, and a little bit on recruitment as well. And I think I've heard with Lukaku, system players. You can't play him as a target man. Why? Because he has a terrible first touch. Well, then you can't play him. Straight up. System <laughs> players, system players, system That's players. That's really true. I've heard this so much, system players, system players. Do you know what a system player is? A system player is a highly flawed player. Simple as the only system players in that City team is Rodri. That's the only player who, if you plucked them up and put them in any, maybe Stones, but even Stones had great times at Everton. If you plucked any player from that City team into any other team in the world, they would do a job and they would do a good job. Carl Walker physically is outstanding. You can play him any team in the world. Cancelo, obviously, he's, he's uh, enabled a little bit by having so much of the ball and being a very offensive player. But you can he's played for some of the top clubs in the world. Okay, not as been as successful as at City. That's good coaching. Um, Kevin De Bruyne, you can play any club in the world, whether it be Wolfsburg, whether it be Chelsea, whatever. Mohamed Salah, there's a reason Liverpool signed him. He was doing work at Roma, at Fiorentina, at Basel before us. You can put him in, you can put a pacey goal getter in any team in the world. Um, uh, Jack Grealish was dragging Villa through games. Phil Foden, you can put him in any team in the world. Gundogan, great at Dortmund, any team in the world. Uh, Bernardo Silva, the star of that Monaco team with Mbappe, any team in the world. The only real system players that City have is Rodri. And that's why they went for Jorginho. Because if you're going to play a hugely possession-based style, then one system player like a Jorginho is okay. You don't spend £97.5 million on a player who is useless in massive multiple facets of the game. He's only good in transition. <laughs> we don't get many of those. So now what? Um, Kai Havertz is, is he's good when he's not pressed and he can float behind the lines, right? Well, we're against a deep block. Now what? Christian Pulisic. Now, the problem is Christian Pulisic gets played on the right of the pitch. You need him on the left wing of the pitch where he can go straight to goal because he can't pass. Right. Hakim Ziyech needs to play in a slower league where he can get the ball so that he's a volume, volume, volume guy where he just has the opportunity to make mistakes. This, these aren't system quirks. These are huge flaws. Timo Werner needs spacing behind and needs to play on the left because he can't turn because he uses a D-pad, not an analog stick. Like, these aren't... These aren't <laughs> His old school pairs, I love You know what I mean? PS1, not PS4, whatever, five, <laughs> new one. These aren't quirks. These are these are flaws that you should look at. The, the best players in the world can play in any team. The future and present of a highly effective football is high-pressing, tight spaces and being able to dribble, pass, shoot, make movements, uh, drag people around. And we have at least four or five players in this squad who can't do any of them. So when I hear system players, how many years have they spent trying to unlock Pogba? Maybe he's just not that good. Maybe it's just you need to sign players that are multifaceted, are able to play high-pressing, high-tempo, tight-space football and then you might see different results. Because if we talk about our oh, Pulisic can't ride challenges, Ziyech can't ride challenges, Havertz can't ride challenges, well then you've you've scouted the wrong physical profiles. Particularly for the Premier League. For the Premier League, for when defenders are going to be scraping studs down their leg. Okay, yeah, VAR has alleviated it slightly, but go and watch any other league and you'll notice the difference in pace. And Germany is similar in pace, but they play 50 yards further up the pitch. Like everyone has this, yeah. German coaches, I think, have this um, 
playground football, basically. Yeah, you can call it naivety, but I think they want to play a certain way. And I think that that yeah. comes from their FA, like their FA runs their league, runs their academies. And I think that it's a, it's a good thing in a way, but it's a bad thing if you want to directly transplant those players' outcomes. Look at Sancho. It's, you, the, the scout yeah. poor. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just, um, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just maddening when I hear the whole system player thing and then the Lukaku stuff, I'm sorry, but the level of pressing, whether it's, uh, awareness of where to press and how to press or just effort or maybe some sympathy, he needs to conserve that energy at the end of the day, it's not good enough and it's impacting games and conceding chances and therefore conceding goals. Then you are going to have to, it's the same Ronaldo debate they're having over in the red half of Manchester, you are you are going to have to score an awful lot of goals and have huge yeah. expectations on that side if you are giving up what he is giving up on the other end. Um, uh, that you just yeah, it's, it's, if you look at the Liverpool and Brighton games in particular, we were we were following right onto the goalkeeper, right onto the centre back, and pressing into their eighteen yard box. Brighton, we didn't engage until they got 46, 42 yards up the pitch. This is Brighton. But we weren't able to do it because of of the personnel that we have leading in the press. Um, same with City. Now, okay, arguably you might push off City anyway, but for me, I'm I'm not sure. The good thing is, I have I have a sneaky suspicion the four two four might help with this sort of stuff. But on on you asked about Lukaku at the top of this conversation and the forwards in general. I'm sorry, but it comes to the point where you look at the money spent and you look at the output you're getting. And how flawed they are, are we getting 300 million pounds worth of no output chance. from those need, five players? No, firstly, you need perfect conditions to for them all to succeed. Secondly, it seems like they all need contrasting or contra- contradictory conditions to each other to concede. So, yeah. so to succeed, sorry. So, so Werner and Lukaku need, need the ball in behind. Um, and now that's great for someone like. Ziyech, but Hudson Adoy is out, uh, outstanding attributes are crossing and and one v one against you know it's not it's not through balls and and stuff like that so he's not bad at them but Christian Pulisic is not a passer he's a dribbler and a finisher so again and then all of a sudden you've got you've got a, a big club and if we were to sit off every game go and listen to what Stamford Bridge would sound like it would be yeah. awful <laughs> like, there's expectations that we have to play a certain way and the players have all succeeded in the complete opposite and yeah I think it's a big problem and I think yeah I mean we look at why we haven't signed people this January maybe I'm being naive maybe it's more for me but I do get the feeling they are not wanting to commit money to another short-term fix I had a good conversation with someone about Lucas Dinier on Twitter today um, and I said well you might get saddled with the next Alonso if you just sign someone in January and and, and yeah. they made a good point that, you know, Alonso's only got a year and a half left, so you could arguably just send him on loan and be done with it in the summer and da 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 But And Lucas Digne has proven in the Premier League that he's at the very least a useful backup. Um, but maybe he wanted to start, who knows. My, but the point is, we've got returning loanees, we've got contracts nearing their end. I do find it interesting that we haven't signed up guys just willy-nilly like we're 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 cautious with Rudiger cautious with Christensen cautious with Azpilicueta Tiago Silva's only got the year I do wonder and and hope if there is more dialogue that they need to put something medium to long term in place here because I think that would be the main argument against signing anyone this month but um but yeah that's how I see the gap anyway I think it's I think we're just signing flawed attackers who need perfect conditions to succeed um, like you said, without any coherent plan, Ziyech and Havertz in the same summer and Werner and Pulisic just because we had a ban and not accounting for the emergence of a Hudson Adoy, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's just it's just bad planning. And I would like to think that that's gonna change, but we will obviously dive deep into that um on a recruitment episode properly. All right, London's blue listeners. This is editor Jake. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that's the end of this part of the Tinkerman episode. Obviously, there's a lot more that's gone on, not just the Manchester City game, but there's also the Villa game, the Brighton game, the Liverpool game, the Spurs Cup matches where we absolutely kicked the shit out of Spurs. I mean, we loved it, right? So how could they not be covering that? Well, it's a long one. It's a beast. We wanted to give you guys a little little break, a little lunchtime to, to catch up with. We know we pumped these pods out, but two and a half hours, that's a lot of episodes, so... 
Next week, Wednesday, you can hear the rest of this. Uh, like I said, Spurs, Villa, Brighton, Liverpool, and also the Tinkerman 10, the quick fire segment where we answer all your burning questions. Uh, make sure you're there for it. After our women's game review, after our men's game review, uh, a casual men's game review, Spurs, third time. Will we kick their ass again? I hope so. But anyways, be there, be square. Uh, until then, there's only one thing to do, and that's keep the blue flag flying high. Huh?